I'm not a huge Iraqi fan, but I absolutely... So would you say you're an Iranian fan? Radio Drome. Welcome to another Thursday night episode of Radio Drome. Wait a minute, Thursday night episode? Why would it be anything but a Thursday night episode? Unless you're downloading it, then you can listen to it whenever you want, and then it doesn't even have to be night, and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But anyway, I'm Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Marquis de Suede. Hello. And not Brad, Cecil T. I am here once again, and I am not Brad again. And because of the subject matter and because we could schedule her, we have a special guest tonight. Well, I don't know, since this is like your seventh appearance, Diamanda, are you still a special guest? I think I'm a recurring character at this point. Okay, a recurring character. I I like that. Yeah, everyone, sorry for sounding like I'm whispering. I kind of am. (laughs) She's restrained tonight. And I don't mean that in the way of the kind of things you would get from adamandeve.com, where if you go there and use (laughs) promo code Jerome, yeah, I'm subtle, if you go there and use the promo code DROME, you would get three free DVDs, 50% off of a single item, free sh- free shipping in the United States, and a free mystery gift if you use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. You like how I just went right into that, Diamanda? You are the master of subtlety. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the master of something, but okay. I, I declare you to be a true Bagwan which should, if I remember correctly, translate as uh, Master of the Vagina. And that'll actually kind of play into what we're talking about tonight. We've got a balanced show for a relatively serious topic, gays in cinema, homosexuality on the screen. And we've got two straights, Cecil and myself, and we've got two gays, Diamanda and Alex. So I think it's a relatively balanced show. When you think of how gays are portrayed in cinema... What is the first image that comes to your mind? How bad Greg Araki's movies are, actually. That's the he, first thing that comes to mind. He's on my list to talk about, actually. Yeah. So we will get to Araki in a little bit. Harvey Firestein. It's usually that really over-the-top, flamboyant, completely unnecessary gay persona. That's usually, I won't say all the time, but a good bit of the time, whenever there's a movie and it has a gay character, it's usually played for laughs. The section in this film is not yet rated when we see side by side what sects acts in films get what ratings in American, in the, according to the MPAA, and gay ones always get shafted. Uh, that was deliberate double, wording, double by the entendre. way. Single entendre. Well, and see, to me, okay, Cecil, if you go to Harvey Firestein, I got to go Bruce Valanche. Ah, another one. Yeah, he, he's like, what if Jabba the Hutt were gay? That, that That's <laughs> Bruce Valanche. Gays have been portrayed kind of as like an open secret for a long time. For Halloween, Scott and Iana Lost in the Static did Paul Lind Halloween special from the 70s. And I got in trouble for a joke I made on Facebook that, you know what? I'm starting to think this guy might be just a little bit gay. And people got mad at me for that. And it's like, he is every bit stereotypical gay. Do you think that gays... Well, I, I shouldn't even ask this, but... 
do you think that gays have been portrayed fairly in cinema? No. And uh, it's it's getting better. It's constantly getting better. But it's it's obviously happened once or twice. But generally, on average, no. It it started off really, really bad. And we are somewhere... But if you compare us to how black people have been portrayed in cinema, we're somewhere between step and fetch it and pre-black exploitation. Well, it's, it's a step on the thing to total equality. You start off as, caric- as caricatures that are there to amuse the, the mainstream audience, then you become servants to the mainstream uh, in, in, in your context, your roles, then you get your own films, then you, then you sort of end up as maybe heroes that are not allowed to be villains because it's seen as bad, it's as, uh, as bigoted to make you be able to have the play the negative parts of humanity, and then you get full equality. There's other steps, but there's steps towards getting treated as an equal in film, in art, and we're not very far along yet. Uh, yeah, we're we're just getting to the gay exploitation age. Yeah. Do you think gay exploitation is an actual subgenre? It should it be. It is yes. Dakota films. <laughs> One thing I do want to leave out tonight is porn. Gay porn. I, I want to just talk about regular cinema that's not meant to i don't know if titillates the right word but it's not meant for you to beat off to i was gonna say that if you can have a movie that's called the gay bed and breakfast of terror then yes gay exploitation is a genre fair enough that is the evolution of minorities in film yeah i mean it's um it's it's at a point where they are getting better but still like if you're watching a movie with the exception of the occasional rare, usually direct-to-video or direct-to-cable feature, whenever there is a main character that's gay, they're usually the comedic relief, they're usually the villain, they're never just a regular character in the movie. Like, it always has to focus on the fact that they're gay, instead of just being like, hey, here's this guy or this girl, and they're gay, that's the deal. You know, it's like they, they don't they always draw too much attention to it when they tr- instead of just letting it happen and letting it be like let them be a normal character and that's partly because most of the people who write the stuff who direct the stuff are going to be straight people straight people are going to define gay people by the act of having same sex sex and by being stereotypes on the surface or just up by outward things that they do while a gay writer will be able to give them more such subtlety because being gay, they know there's more to it than that. While a straight writer, not through not being malicious or anything, they're, they're just going to see gay people as an other. And so they're going to write them as an other. And it, has to, it takes a very strong, good straight writer who's done a lot of thinking to actually portray a three-dimensional gay character. Well, even in that, strangely enough, the way gay people are portrayed in a positive light, I've noticed tends to be in period pieces. Like, look at Gods and Monsters. Okay, it plays fast and loose with the actual facts of James Whale's life, so I don't want to call it a biopic. The relationship that McCullen and Frazier have in that movie is of true friendship, but the fact that McCullen is bo- both gay in real life and gay on the screen brings McKellen. another dimension to it. McKellen, sorry. Well, who's also incredibly self-loathing. Admittedly, that's accurate to a lot of gay men of the era, but it's like the idea that gay people have to suffer through being gay and it, on some level it's it's pretty offensive that the 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 gay person is a saintly suffering person you saw a lot of this in the early 90s especially with aids once aids stopped being horrifying for straight people and started being sympathetic you had the aids epidemic which really was brought to light i think with aids and gay being synonymous 
and I'm just talking pop culture here, Philadelphia. What was that, 93, 94? And, and then you, you had other ones in the past where the, the homosexuality was almost just so normal you didn't even notice it. Tony Scott's The Hunger. It's two women sleeping together. Yeah, one's a vampire. Fine, fair enough. It's not really played like a gay relationship. It's just played like like another relationship, isn't it? Is that the right way to do it or the wrong way to do it? Well, it's art, so there's no right way to do it or wrong way to do it technically. It's just what people think. My, my trick for, for a straight person writing a gay person or a gay romance is quite weird, and it might actually end up quite odd, but write a straight romance make one of them at random and the opposite sex, change whatever pronouns you need, and keep the same script. Then you'll have a three-dimensional character who is not a stereotype. I completely agree, and I wish movies would do that. But then you have other movies that snuck homosexuality in, where you didn't even notice it. Like, one of the biggest dad movies ever, movies like The Wild Bunch, which is one of the most critically acclaimed American westerns out there, Sam Peckinpah's arguable classic, the characters played by Struther Martin and L.Q. Jones have an, uh, no pun intended, under-the-table gay relationship. Both of them, with Peckinpah's blessing, played the part as subtly gay. The little glances they gave each other, the, their interplay with words, the way they would act when they were near one another, those characters were lovers, and no one noticed it. Even Peckinpah said if the MPAA had noticed it, they would have gotten an X rating, which they got anyway for violence. but they would have gotten it for subtle homosexual relationship between L.Q. Jones and Struther Martin. That, I think, is a brilliant way to bring it to the forefront in 1969 when you could not have a gay main character shooting motherfuckers left and right. It was the perfect way to do it at the time because that was the only way you could do it at the time. Like even uh, Charlton Heston's Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur was... Charlton Heston didn't know this, but Gore Vidal on the director and the guy who played the main guy, the villain in Ben-Hur, they all saw those Ben-Hur and the other guy as lovers who had broken up. And the Roman guy wants it's to get back with Ben-Hur. pretty clear when you watch the movie, though, too. Yeah, but Charlton Heston didn't know that. Putting it in subtlety, subtly is basically a sop because you can't put it in a, in a more direct way. Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, there was that one uh, deleted scene in... Spartacus. Yeah, well, in oh, what well, I was going to yes, say, in Celluloid Closet, where it would have made it that much more clear, which is why they had it removed. <laughs> yeah, they just, they, I mean, back then, they absolutely weren't ready for something like that. Or I shouldn't say they weren't, not so much they weren't ready, it's just that they wouldn't allow it. I like they, snails they, and vaginas, that scene. And oysters, <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. No, snails and clams. Oysters. oysters. Oysters, that's it, yeah. I think it's the Maltese Falcon. They have one of the first explicitly codedly gay characters. character? Yeah, and what's really interesting about that, the, the character was described as a gunsil. Gunsil was actually an obscure piece of slang for an effeminate gay guy. However, because the character was like a, was, because of the way the character was, the term gunsil was assumed to mean something else involving like working for the mob. To this day, now the, the term gunsil actually means like a, a low level mobster. So it actually changed, the subtlety was, in one way, was so lost that a word changed its meaning. Don't you think then that, the way they did it in, like, The Wild Bunch and Maltese Falcon and that, and Ben-Hur, don't you think that is actually the best way to do it when you're trying to pitch to an audience 
that most likely would not go to see a movie, if they knew Ben-Hur was gay, I don't think people would have gone to see it. But when you sneak it in, and I think that is the way you pitch it to the audience so it's not as in your face and they're more willing to accept it because the subtle, the subtle acts will speak to their subconscious. So even if they don't notice it, their brain did. Some of them were way too subtle. Like that documentary brought up Caged from 1950. And I love that movie. And they mentioned that this one character was gay. And I was like, oh, I never caught that. So sometimes well, it's too subtle. Well, in the Hayes Code, in the days of the Hayes Code, they were kind of forced to code things in very, very, very subtly. And it, and it kind of bred gay people being able to read these subtle signs, like a secret language of, of cinema. Ever since it doesn't have to be so subtle, it's some a lot of the subtlety is lost. It's my analogy would be the language of Polari, which was originally in the UK. It was basically to, uh, carnies would speak it, but whenever homosexuality was illegal, gay people would learn it and uh, they would use it as a way to communicate with each other. And now, you know, 40, 50 years after homosexuality was made legal, the, the language has nearly died out. Well, the, the subtlety thing, one, one thing I'll point out is that it seems that whenever there's a movie and maybe they have a, a gay character in it, they will kind of uh, not market that or not even mention that there is a gay character, unless that is like a focal point of it, something like Philadelphia. But usually if it's a gay character, it's not even mentioned. If it's something like Wild Things, where you've got two, you, you've got Nev Campbell and Niece Richards and like they have a big makeout session like that's all they push as far as the marketing you know you have to see this this is going to be you know so it's it's kind of it's kind of two sides of that where it's like if it's gay they usually won't mention it as much but if it's two straight actresses doing something gay then they will push that you know at their agenda as much as possible to kind of get uh, i guess to get more guys in the theater so w would you say then that kind of filmmaking goes both ways? <laughs> I guess you uh, you could say that. No, they're using the they're using the existence of lesbians as a way to titillate straight men because the biggest audience, single audience for for films, is straight white men. So films are subtly and not so subtly made for their benefit. Most films, not all. Well, speaking of Wild Things, which was directed by John McNaughton, look at a movie like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. There's a very famous deleted scene that was deleted because the distributor, and remember, this movie sat on the shelf for five years because it was so graphic, but the distributor decided that if we saw Henry and Otis making out, that if there was even the implication that these two characters were gay, that somehow we wouldn't, as the straight audience, want to finish the movie. There's a deleted scene because Otis and Henry were in prison together. They were lovers. And there's a deleted scene where... Henry pegs Otis, and that was deleted for fear of alienating the audience that might not side with a brutal, remorseless serial killer. Good or bad decision? Good decision, because that would have taken away a lot of the movie. If, if he was in love, him and Otis were in love, that movie would have been terrible, because so it would have taken you, away the whole psychopath so are, 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 are angle. Saying, are, are you saying that the entire movie hinged on them not being lovers? It hinged on Henry not being in love with anybody. So it maybe to Henry it was just sex, though. Or that Otis was his bitch in prison, Otis is his bitch on the outside. 
Yeah, if he was his bitch, if he was just like a, a depository for semen, I would have accepted that. But them as lovers, no. Yeah, I agree with Alex. It's like if if he was just something for him to screw, fine. But if they tried to if they tried to make it to where they were actually in love, that kind of gives you a little bit of a sympathetic angle towards the character and it changes the dynamic of the film. So that's a case of where it it may have been cut for the good. I mean, it's see cuz the thing is it's hard to you can't go back and rewatch certain things even with new material in. So sometimes it doesn't always work. It doesn't always change, you know, change the dynamic for the best. So sometimes things get cut and it's actually good. Making them at the very least would have made it more accurate to the to the real people. They uh, they were lovers or just f***ing, I'm not entirely sure which. I can't remember in Henry did did they mention anything about the fact that uh, that Otis wasn't some wasn't some kind of transgender? I would prefer the film to be as if it's a film about a fiction about a real person i prefer the film to be as accurate as possible to them and if it's about an unpleasant person i'd rather have them warts and all the fact that they have a, that it's okay to watch a film about a horrible person who kills a bunch of people and is just a piece of shit but but, but then it's the fact that he's gay would make it unpopular with audiences that just shows several different types of homophobia at once that should not be the straw that breaks an audience's back ever look at a film like domino the real Domino Harvey was bisexual, but by her own admission, leaned mu- much farther towards women than men. The movie not only doesn't even bring up her liking of women, but makes her completely straight. Why do you think they would do that when they're trying to claim that this is a true story? And then they say, yeah, we- we've got this mostly lesbian character. We're just going to make her straight because it's easier to tell the film with homophobia either from the creators or the studio or the audience that sort of demands that gave there not be that many gays in their films they were just trying to appeal to a wider audience a wider read homophobic audience because yes. it's very common yeah very so are you common. trying to say that an audience would not want to see kira knightley making out with a girl a lot of the audience wouldn't not necessarily the visuals of Kira Knightley making out with a woman. I don't think the audience would be able to accept the the context of why she's making out with that girl. Well, Cecil, I know yeah. I know you'd like to yeah. see Kira Knightley making out with a woman. What's your thoughts? Uh, I would not have an issue with that. I think I didn't think you would. No, absolutely not. Big big Kira Knightley fan. But I think that uh, it's it's simple. It's it's just a matter of they decided for whatever reason that they wanted to take this story and make it accessible to mainstream audiences. And by doing so, they had to remove anything that could be perceived as, I don't want to say negative, but like something that would like that mainstream audiences wouldn't get into. It always cracks me up that it's like, all right, well, violence, you know, murdering, uh, you know, kidnapping, that's okay. Gay. Whoa. We got to cut that right out. Well, then what do you think about the way gays are played for laughs? We, we hinted at it earlier. Look at something like, I mean, Alex and I riffed the movie on Live Nude Geeks. Look at like Bacalao. Alex, was that not one of the most offensively, almost, almost caricature-ish portrayals of a gay person ever? That was horrible. It was, it was bad. Don't remind me of how bad that portrayal of that gay guy was. But we need to let the audience, because I'm sure most of them have not seen Bacalao. But it was a Turkish movie. This guy, if they set him on fire, 
he would have only been a little bit more flaming than he was in this movie. To the point where he gets killed because the sharkfish dolphin thing named Bacalao has sex with a woman in the water, and she comes out completely satisfied, so he runs in, thrusts his ass at it, and then it eats him. He runs out there because he's like, I like dick so much I even take a fish penis. That's what's horrible about it. I would quite like to see that film out of curiosity, but... um. Basically, like earlier, I made the comparison that with Step and Fetch, it, who were the really racist caricatures that were popular in like on stage and then in the early days of cinema, where just black people were there to be laughed at. They were there to be funny, to make the white people laugh, because ha ha ha, it's hilarious. And that's a perfect example of a gay equivalent. One of, if not one of my least fav- um, favorite things in movies, characters, is the flamboyantly irritating comedic relief gay it just they they show up and everything is is a pun about penis and it just it does not i don't want to say it doesn't work but it it always infuriates me and it it's just annoying because they're not at that point they're not even real people it's just they come out and they uh, and it just it does nothing but irritate me and usually um if it's a good movie which it rarely is, so it's already a bad movie, but then they, they bring in this flamboyantly gay character, and it just does nothing but irritate me further, because it's just so unnecessary. 90% of the time, they're tremendously unfunny. And see, I think it kind of goes to, like what Diamanda was, was equating it to with, the, with black people, you, you had Amos and Andy, and I think for gay people... And this is coming from a straight perspective. I think Will and Grace was one of the most offensively stereotypical gay shows I've ever seen. I'm going to ask the two gay people, what did you think of something like Will and Grace? With Will and Grace, I liked the character of Will. He seemed believable. That friend of his, I, I, I couldn't stand the show because that overly flamboyant friend of his. I was not a fan of Will and Grace, but I've seen worse. The UK television did a show called Vicious, which was, I think, by the creator of Will and Grace, and it starred Derek Jacobi and Ian McKellen, and it is vile. It's not just the character being flamboyant or femme or whatever, that that comes across as, I don't know if there's a word for it, like just people disliking femininity in men. It's it, I, femophobic or something, I've just coined that word. But there's nothing wrong with feminine gay guys, nothing wrong with like, whatever... It's, it's the show not being made well, and it's and the characters not being characters. That's the issue. I hated it. I, I mean, but I already don't like sitcoms to begin with. I have a, a couple of, well, I have a few lesbian friends that are, like, when that show was on, there were people that are like, oh, you must love Will and Grace. And they're like, no. Like, why, why do you automatically assume that we're going to like this show? It was horrible. So... Uh, it's it's just rubbish and uh it's it's like diamanda said it's it's not so much that they are being flamboyantly you know or or effeminate gay i have no problem with with people when they are uh, effeminate gay guys but the fact that they are caricatures it's just they come out and they're wearing a feather boa and it's like oh really like it's like we get it you don't have to beat us over the head with it this guy's gay it's it's just they they do it in such a, a, a an overhanded way where it's just they're beating you with it and it's just not necessary. It's like just 
treat them like people. Don't you know? Don't don't treat them like caricatures. But then why do you think that that happens? Why do you think that you wouldn't be able to have an Amos and Andy type character in a movie today, but you've still got comedies that are coming out from major studios in 2013 that have the Will and Grace gay Amos and Andy types? Why is it okay for one but not the other? Because the world, the society that we live in is incredibly homophobic. We pat ourselves on the back and say, isn't it wonderful? Gay people can, you know, in some parts get married. Things must be equal. And it's all wonderful. It's not. It's the most, probably the least homophobic that society internationally has ever been. It's not. We are not equal. We are not treated as equal. When it comes down to the minority food chain with, with like, you know, say white people, white, cissexual, straight men at the top who are able-bodied and all at the very top, we are very low. We're not. We're not at the very bottom. We're about three quarters of the way down. Is that a pun? No. With you, I never know. (laughs) That's a compliment, but I'm just saying with you, I never know if that's a pun or not. But then what about the way, and this only goes for the male side of gay right now, but the way being gay is looked at as being unmanly, or as you pointed out before, unmasculine. Look at something like like Heartbreak Ridge. It's an otherwise, I mean, it's a PG-13 movie. You know, Clint Eastwood is straightening up a bunch of misfits in, you know, in the Army or Navy or Marines. I don't remember what, what the hell they were in that movie. It's been years and whatnot. But then there's the thing about how when he's trying to emasculate them, he's like, and I'll just bend you over and pop you in the rear. And it, it just, you know, it's, okay, gay means you're not a man anymore. Or the other way, in Once Bitten, the scene where they're trying to figure out whether Jim Carrey has had his balls sucked out, Trust, it'll make sense if you see the movie. And the two guys accost him in the shower and are looking at his testicles, and there's the whole, fags in the shower, fags in the shower, and they actually set off a fire alarm for fags in the shower. What does that say? Even though that was the 80s, what does that say? A lot of homophobia has its roots in misogyny. Being to be a woman is to be inferior, and to have sex with a man as the receiver is to be like a woman, therefore you are inferior. It is a huge... It's hate, is what it is. Yeah, and there's there's another component to it. There is you got the effeminate gay is the pitiful one is you've is the female one. You've got the masculine gay is the one that that straight men tend to have at least some left degree of fear for because they they're the one they're portrayed as sexual predators. This is quite happens quite a lot in like cruising and shit. What what can this predatory masculine gay do? It can, they can make you into a woman. And that, is, and that is just absolutely terrible and horrible and horrifying. A lot of homophobia has its roots in misogyny. Look at something like Myra Breckenridge, where you have a man that becomes a woman that, and it, it is rape at that point. She rapes a man in the ass, implied to the point where she's so out of breath that it, it's been hours. Is that emasculation for the man or is that masculinizing I don't even know if that's a word for Myra slash Rex Reed whatever no the the film I believe states quite clearly that the idea is to there are no real men anymore so Myra is going to turn this man into a figurative woman that, that that's I just believe that's stated quite clearly in the film Diamanda, most people I've talked to know that scene they don't know the context or the movie itself. It's kind of like like the head explosion in Scanners. Everybody's seen it. How many people have actually seen Scanners? 
well, if you take it out of context, you can say a lot of things. Like, but that can be with any film, you know. If you ignore the fact that it's stated quite clearly that the Force is worked by Jedi's and stuff, you could look at an individual scene in Star Wars and assume that it's actually created by a magical ice cream van. It doesn't matter. Your interpretation doesn't matter if you've taken the scene out of context by itself when it's quite clearly stated in another scene. As a film itself, it's I don't hate it. It's like several bad films put together, but I've seen much worse. Listening to the director's commentary put me over the edge to hate. Michael Sarney, I want that guy to die in a fire. Well, you'd be right in line with Gore Vidal then. The guy, okay, this is just from memory. It was several months ago I listened to the commentary, but he says that gays are intrinsically sad. He thinks transgendered people are mutilated. He thinks that the only possible sort of merit in the story of Michael Breckenridge in the book was critically acclaimed was to turn it into, in his words, a pantomime because men in dresses is funny. The guy is a piece of shit. So we're back to that whole Milton Berle dressing up as a chick. Hilarity! Hey, well, it's where yeah. Tom Hanks made his career. Yep, he's a, he's a virulent homophobe. Well, first I just want to throw in, uh, I think Magical Ice Cream Van makes more sense than midichlorians. But uh, um, <laughs> Myra Breckenridge, I, I can't really weigh in on it because I haven't seen it. But uh, I have a like I want to ask Myra you. Myra Breckenridge is the kind of beautiful train wreck you have to see. Okay. It's like the battlefield Earth of the seventies. Oh, oh, then do I really have to see it then? Because you see it a lot on lists of like worst movies ever, and it really has that reputation. So at least see it for the context of that, the historical. Oh, this is the worst movie kind of context. That's kind of a. You know, listening to Michael Sarney, very negative portrayal. I mean, that he was basically trying to make gays or transgenders look like fools. What about something like Cruising? I don't think William Friedkin was trying to make gays as stereotypical as he ended up doing. Because that movie, according to Cruising, all gays in New York ever do is think about sex 24-7. They're constantly cruising for sex. Sex is the only thing that runs their lives, and the only reason they exist is to have sex with other men. I don't think that's the purpose he made the movie for. I think he was trying to make kind of an edgy thriller, but that's what the movie ended up being to me. I don't think it was made as something that was demonizing homosexuality. I think it was made as just an edgy thriller that they decided to go that angle with it and it has since kind of been looked upon as something that's demonizing homosexuality but i don't think that that's what was initially intended there's a movie coming out soon that i've actually included it in this week's trailer park called interior leather bar and it's about the making of cruising wow that's and timely i'm looking forward to seeing it because it's apparently based on fact and it tries to recreate the 40 minutes of deleted sexually explicit footage from the movie so the movie that the st scenes that were cut out of cruising are supposed to be recreated in this interior leather bar. Cruising struck me as a guy who had very a guy, an average film director guy from the early '80s. So likely to be at least, you know, he's heterosexual. He's likely to be somewhat homophobic, and he decided to make an edgy thriller. And it just came out really unfortunately. It's a bit like a white guy in the 1950s, attempting to make a film about inner-city black youth and it coming out as racist. We didn't see that coming. But Cruising is based on a novel, and the novel was much more about the gay psychology. The novel was much more about what would be the Al Pacino character 
once he goes undercover, he finds that he becomes sexually confused, that he's he maybe not is turning gay, but like he has trouble having sex with his fiance and it, it, it is changing him and it's a much more psychological story, whereas Friedkin seemed to just want to take the thriller elements and over the top gay them. So I don't that's why I'm saying I don't know if Friedkin's to blame for that because it's based on a novel. I don't think he was the right person to adapt it. I mean, like, I, I own a copy of Cruising. I think it's a f- deeply flawed but perfectly fine attempt. It's just very, very flawed, and it probably should have been handled by a different director. I'm not really sure who at the time would have, but... I agree. William Friedkin being, at that time, in a, a straight man in a very homophobic era of history was probably just projecting his own thoughts about homosexuality at the time based on society. Well, but then what about what is arguably – now, again, coming at this from a straight perspective, Greg Araki. I think he actually – and him being so out and proud and making all of – with the exception of the Doom Generation, his first straight film. Yeah, right. Making all of these movies, gay movies for the gay community, I think he makes the gay community look worse. Is that just my straight perspective looking at it or – do you, Alex and Diamanda, as being people that are gay, does Greg Araki help or hurt the cause? I don't know. I hate his movies, but there are people that like them. Very few, but the first Greg Araki movie I saw was his first one, The Living End, and I hated that one. It was like just a violent look at homosexuality, and then he did Totally Fucked Up, which was just this depressing look at it. I mean, he his movies don't really approach homosexuality in a normal mind it's always got to be violent or depressing and that's why i hate gregoraki's movies i've never actually seen any gregoraki stuff but i will say that a gay filmmaker gay making gay movies they're not always going to be comfortable or particularly nice for straight audiences it's a bit like i'm going to go back to the black exploitation thing because if you got a film that is a black exploitation film that is made by black people for a black audience Straight people aren't always going to like the results, and they shouldn't, because it's not for straight people, it's for them. I think, I think, I think you mean white people. Sorry, yes, yes, white people in that context, but in the, for Greg Araki, gay movies should not always be liked by straight people, because it's not for them. Straight people, uh, they, they're used to all films being cater- catering particularly to them. That's not how it should be. You know, not all films are, not, are made for everyone. I'm going to say worse than Greg Araki, though, is Jorge Amir. <laughs> he makes the the worst gay movies I've ever I, seen. That the, the Singing Forest is still I rank it as the worst movie I've ever seen. Who would be worse, Dakota or or Iraqi? Who speaks better for the gay community as filmmakers then? Dakota. Why? Because he makes movies with no plot and just shirtless guys and pools. He he makes basically softcore gay porn. I think. Yeah, but they're believable characters, and they they don't rub it in their face, the audience's face, that, hey, these guys are gay. In fact, they're usually just straight, and they're eye candy. But there's times where his movies have stories, and the character's sexuality is irrelevant to the story, and that's why I like them. I'm not a huge Iraqi fan, but I absolutely... So would you say you're an Iranian fan? <laughs> It was how you said it. You set me up. Okay, go ahead. I, yeah, that was a softball. I absolutely positively love Nowhere. It It's probably somewhere in my like 100 favorite films of all time because it's so 
absolutely positively batshit insane. I mean, there's 80 million, fa- you know, recognizable faces in it, and there is there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of homosexuality in it. There's a lot of straight in it. There's massive amounts of drugs in it. It's just one of those movies you watch and you're and you you have no like seeing it for the first time, you have no idea where it's going to end up. And when it finally does end, it, it's an ending that you never saw in a million years because it's so like it just it's just crazy. So I really thoroughly enjoy Nowhere because of the fact that it is so bizarre. What about the um, generation, which I, I'm on Brad's side with this. One of the worst films ever made. I don't mind the Doom Generation as much. I mean, I, I, it's not something that I say I like or dislike. It just kind of is. I have not seen it in at least a decade. So I'm just kind of going off of, I've seen it like twice. I, I I remember thinking it was okay. I don't hate it with like, you know, the white hot hatred. Like uh, I accidentally domed your son. That's a movie where it's just enragingly bad. Whereas I just remember the, the Doom Generation just kind of being like, eh. You know, it just kind of was. And I've only, you know, I've seen Smiley Face, I think is the only other Iraqi film I've seen. And uh, that one was kind of... See, the the first one of his that I saw, I I didn't know who he was. You know, this is in the 90s, so no on-screen guide or anything for cable. One of the pay cable channels showed totally f***ed up. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting title. And yeah, it wasn't the film I was expecting it to be. But it was, to me, indicative of Iraqi's films. It was poorly made with broad characters whose only defining characteristic was gay, 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 gay. The characters have no personality outside of I'm gay. They, to them, the entire world is against them because I'm gay. And I think that's part of the problem. And that, I think, stems from Iraqi himself. He, gave an, he was on MTV back in the 90s when, when he, he made a pilot for them called Is This How the World Ends? Which is a great title, but it's a god-awful show and he basically said people who don't like my movies are homophobic that he is basically he is basically pigeonholing the straights oh you didn't like my movie well then that's because you're a homophobe it can't be because the characters have no personality it's poorly written it's really poorly shot there's no continuity from scene to scene and the sound design sounds like crap no 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 it's because you're gay you said gay instead of homophobe there but that's that talks more about his arrogance than anything else Honestly, uh, for my representative of gay filmmaking, I go for Bruce LeBruce just to try and make someone accidentally watch, like, you know, zombie zombie male porn. It's hilarious. Male to male and female to female, non-sexual, so non-gay, non-lesbian relationships in movies or in TV are put in jeopardy because of the feared perception of homosexuality. For instance, Star Trek. Star Trek, classic Trek, which broke so much new ground in the 60s, the relationship between Miles O'Brien and Julian Bashir on Deep Space Nine, the writers and the producers more than the writers were afraid that if they showed these guys as being incredibly close friends who implicitly trusted one another to the point where they were sitting next to each other very closely. They, they would touch one another, like on the shoulder and whatnot, and, but there was nothing sexual about it. They were afraid Julian and Miles would come across as gay. So that's why for the first two seasons, you kind of see those characters, the friendship is growing, but you, you see kind of walls being put up by the producers. 
What does that say about 90s television then? Say they were damn paranoid because uh, Brian was in a really happy marriage with his wife. There are plenty of episodes about that. I would never yeah, have suspected. Keiko was a regular character. Yeah, I would never have in a million years suspected him and Bashir had something going on. And remember, Bashir at that point was infatuated with Dax. So, yeah, I don't get what they were afraid of. I'd put it down to more they're afraid of actually having human characters having the human characters in Star Trek act like human beings. They were worried about having them act like human beings, having an honest, proper, actual friendship, that they were seeing more into it, and therefore became a bit paranoid. I think it's more along the lines of they just don't want to show males having any kind of intimacy with, like, another guy. Like, in the 80s... If I had a buddy of mine and I hadn't seen him in a while and I ran up and gave him a big hug, it'd be like, oh, you gay? You know, whereas like if you do, you know, I do that now, like I have, you know, close friends of mine. I'm like, hey, go up, give him a big hug, you know, like and it's it's like just it's a way of being, you know, intimate with like a with like a close friend, but not in a sexual manner, but it's perceived as such. And I think that that's what they were afraid of. They were just so paranoid that people were going to see. Maybe they come over and they put their hand on their shoulder or something or those little subtle tells and they were going to just start nitpicking the hell out of it and be like, oh, well, they must have something going on on the side instead of just the simple fact that they are two friends who happen to be of the same uh, sex that are very close, but not in a sexual way. You also have that in there was a couple of comic books from Marvel, of all things, in the 90s that kind of went that same route. There was a scene between Havoc and Cyclops, Alex and Scott Summers, they're brothers. They were in like a redneck bar for whatever reason, and they're out of costume. And again, they're brothers. They had just lost a family member. Scott, the older brother, is cradling Alex while Alex is crying, and he's like, I love you. And he goes, I love you too, Scott. A bunch of bikers come up. Well, 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 we got a couple of petunias here, don't we? And he goes, wait a minute, this is my brother. And he goes, wait a minute, I don't have to explain anything to your ignorant ass. That, to me, I thought was a great statement that even these two grown men who are brothers can't hold one another in a time of emotional pain without, oh, a couple of petunias. It's, it's like I said, they just, it's a way of kind of pushing this agenda upon, the, you know, it's like, oh, well, they're, they're obviously must have something wrong with them. So, yeah, it's, it's frustrating, but it was, it was very cool for marvel to to do that because the only openly gay character i could think of was um the canadian one who's i'm totally no, north right star now. but north even star. that but that was handled incredibly poorly oh yeah well they they fumbled the hell out of that but it was 90s marvel what do you know <laughs> i mean i have i have relatives who work in in the comic industry and they just i, I know the hurdles that they have to jump through today to get certain things done. So I can only imagine how crazy it was back then. Oh, I also, I wanted to go back first of all to Star Trek Next Generation because Gene Roddenberry back as far as I think season two of Next Generation was trying to have a, a, a script in there called Blood and Fire, which I believe was written by one of the classic series episodes or episode writers. And he was trying to have gay characters in the show. He wanted the, he wanted to actually do a Russell C. Davies in Doctor Who and have humanity of the future to have bisexual as their common sexuality because they figured they're fucking aliens, why not fuck the other humans? What's the big fucking difference? He was for he was trying for it. 
he wasn't able to get it done in the second season. Then he was moved upstairs and the show improved, admittedly. But then Rick Berman took over. And for the rest of Next Generation, Voyager and Enterprise, they were unable to do anything with homosexuality because of, apparently because of rules from upstairs, which I can only put down as Rick Berman. Because but then Deep Space Nine. Deep Space only, Nine. Deep Space Nine dealt with homosexuality on multiple occasions. Yes, yes it did. Almost always badly. But Deep Space no, Nine. No, okay. I'll, I'll the one with uh, Dax meeting up with her, the Dax symbionts, former lover, and now they're both in female bodies. I thought that was handled quite well, actually. The actual inter uh, having them being the not really caring about the bodies. That was good. The rest of that was stupid. Oh, it's just a taboo, but we're gonna leave, we're gonna sentence you to death for it. Well, not really sentence to death, but pretty much. Oh, look, you're reassociating with someone that you knew in a previous life. We only have a limited amount of symbionts. You're gonna die. It was stupid. With that one though, even even Terry Farrell, I don't know if she was homophobic, but she had so much trouble doing that kiss with the with the other woman that Avery Brooks, who directed that episode, she had to have him figuratively holding her hand through the entire thing because she was so physically uncomfortable with kissing another woman. DS9 had more... It was kept in a looser... What's the word? DS9 didn't have as much paramount control over it. The the producers had much more control over DS9 than they did the others because I think at that point DS9 was the redheaded stepchild, was getting good ratings, but your average Star Trek fan doesn't like DS9 at that time. It was allowed to do pretty much what it wanted, and a lot of times when it involved homosexuality or LGBT issues in general, it didn't do it very well. Like the Garrick thing, where Angie Robinson deliberately played the character of Garrick as in love with Bashir, and uh, I believe that Alexander Siddig, sort of, he was in on that. But the writers were so uncomfortable with that, they gave Garrick a female love interest in Torres Yal, who when she was introduced like the year before was about 12, then the age short of 18. Garrick is still a guy in his middle ages, and who's still who's in his who's middle age. The alternate reality where everyone's bisexual, and it gives you the implication that evil people are bisexual, which is which is biphobic. It's almost better that the other ones didn't handle it if they were going to cack-handedly do it that that much. It was hit and miss. There was an episode in Next Generation that handled LGBT issues. It was vague, though. It was like some alien thing, but I cannot remember. Oh, the outcast. The yeah, I think, weren't those characters asexual? They, they were, were asexual, but it was all supposed to be about gay. Yes, they, it they was were, that they episode. Were, they were androgynous, but they were all played by women. And so you had one, the main character, they, they were a closet female who fell in love with Riker. Unfortunately, because they were all played by women and they all had short hair and they had their you know, they'd bound tits and everything. It came across as Riker was, this woman, sorry, was from a straight, token straight woman from a planet of lesbians who was fighting against her chains to fight to fuck a man. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see how that's kind of screwed up, you know, like, in the message you're ostensibly trying to send. Jonathan Frakes wanted the part of, uh, I forget their name, Pell or something, to be, to, to be the, the one, his love interest to be played by a, a guy. Because he wanted it to be the moment where, de- where Next Generation did its version of the Uhura Kirk kiss. But of course, Paramount said, no, it's got to be a woman, and therefore we have the unfortunate subtext. Straight woman battling to be free from lesbianism. I think that it, at least they're trying. 
to to do some stuff and i mean it's getting shot down but certain things do make it through and i think eventually enough will make it through be it through star trek or be it through some other tv show that you know will start to change minds will start to kind of change the ways that uh, things are perceived and eventually it, it will be better you know it's it's a process and unfortunately it's taking a really long time I, I would rather them try to do something like that and maybe not hit the mark completely than just stick with, okay, this is what works, cookie cutter, just do the same thing, you know, straight. You know, at least that was, they were trying to do something. Well, but then, it was a good point with the, like, they were trying to go for the Ahura Kirk kiss. You know, they were trying which to Which the network fought against, too. Oh, God, did they fight against that. But to finish out the show, let me play devil's advocate for a second. This is something I've said when it comes to blacks, Asians, Latinos, and whatnot portrayed on film, and I think it holds true for homosexuality as well. You can't be protected all the time. That there are real gay serial killers, just like there are black serial killers. There are Latino serial killers. So why are we not allowed, without without GLAD or other organizations throwing their arms up in the air, to have a gay serial killer in a movie without it being homophobic anymore. It, it's almost like like homosexuality is the last is the last stereotype Hollywood is not allowed to safely embrace. Why is that? I remember in an episode of Karen Sisko, written by Elmore Leonard, where he had two gay hitmen. They were flamboyantly gay hitmen, and it w- it was played for laughs. But with Elmore Leonard, you know, it wasn't crass. It was. Karen Sisko was a relatively light series to begin with, and ABC took flack over that. How dare you have hitmen that are gay? There's hundreds of TV shows that came out just that year that had hitmen that were straight. Why is we can't do it because it's gay? No, I see no reason why you can't. And, you know... But every time it happens, GLAD protests. That, oh, a it's a negative portrayal of gay people. There's it, a reason for that, though. That gay people have very few... Uh, portrayals in films so they get pissed off that they're, they're negative give, give us an, an accurate amount of portrayals in films for our numbers say 10 percent of the of the characters in films and we won't complain about that gays are just as open to being picked on as anyone else is more not to me i pick on i'm an equal opportunity hater i hate everyone equally no i'm saying generally gay people get picked on more than straight people because homophobe because frankly because homophobia is still standard yeah, I agree with that completely. No, I'm from the camp of uh, I think that everyone should be made fun of equally. Like I understand that uh, certain uh, certain elements do get a lot of flack and whatnot, but I think that by pulling back and not not addressing certain things is actually more vile because then it's like you're just you're just you know washing over it like it doesn't matter like. I have black friends, I have gay friends, I have people from, you know, of all, you know, not of all, but, you know, of various races, creeds, uh, sexual interests, and I goof on them equally, and they make fun of me just the same way. And I think that by not doing certain things, it all comes down to the intent behind it. If it's something where you're you're just kind of goofing on it and you're you're doing it not to be spiteful, not to be hateful, that's fine. But when you start throwing in hatred and fear and ignorance, that's when it gets out of hand and that's when it becomes an issue. 
Absolutely agreed, yeah, because there's certain people that will joke with me about, you know, my sexuality, but it's all in fun, and I don't mind. Yeah, like Josh, all the time. Right. You know, but, but if... But it doesn't, but you also it doesn't mean we don't like you. But if random person on the street had said the same thing, and I don't know that person where they're coming from, I would be offended. It's a very difficult subject, and uh, it's... I'm not sure if it's going to get any less difficult, but it's going to be interesting. I think... It's never going to be a difficult sub, uh, a non-difficult subject. It'll always be. I mean, I don't think it'll be in my lifetime that I see where it's just accepted as a norm, where homophobia is gone. I mean, you still have severe racism, and that's been going on for God knows how long. It's. I don't know if it's ever going to completely go away. And I'm talking for fear of of everything. You know, eventually, you know, are we going to finally come together? You know, as a unity. Who knows? Who knows where uh, society is heading? Because we're all different people and we're all raised differently and we're all products of our environment. And so I guess the, bo- the best we can do is to try to just be good to each other, regardless of you know what the other person is. Now, if the other person's an asshole, then you know don't be nice to them just because you're supposed to. I'm saying be nice to good people and good people will be nice to you. And the way I look at it is what you do and who you have sex with, assuming it's consensual and over 18, I have no issue with that. So as far as I'm concerned, that that's where I, I land on the gay thing. And at the same time, I think that gays in film, they have not been portrayed very well, but in a strange way, they've been portrayed accurately to how they were treated in society at that time. So I think that, in a very, very strange way, is an interesting time capsule that you can go back and see how gays and blacks and whatnot were portrayed. That's how they were in society as well. Or am I really overanalyzing that? It's more like a time capsule of various isms, sexism, racism, various other ones. The... That that's what you're seeing there in not in how just how they're treated, but also in how um, in how the society allows them to be. The fact that people have to hide and be in code that shows a high level of bigotry in the society in general that they can't even be themselves at all. The fact that people are relegated only to the role of victim or some sort of joke or possibly some sort of predator that shows an almost as high level as of bigotry kind of quite like us to be equal well being equal if people want to find you where where would they do so uh com or that guy with the glasses you can find me at goodbadflix.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com you can find me at geekjuicemedia.com i'm at the same geekjuicemedia.com as well as 1201beyond.com and you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com have a good night guys
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.